Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. Chirpy Bird helps clinicians earn their highest possible MIP score to maximize their Medicare reimbursements. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today, we are talking with Jennifer Ternay, an expert in providing values-based consulting to healthcare organizations. Join us as she shares her passion for how the values of an organization or practice can be the difference in just surviving or thriving. Her unique approach to change is helping improve the financial well-being of organizations and is improving patient outcomes. And I fell into a healthcare position, and at the time, it was back when systems weren't really connected. And I was going through my master's degree and looked at how to connect data between um, actually authorizations and paying claims on a payer side. So one of the first things I did was looking at how do you automate that and did a whole project for my MBA class. Um, But I fell into healthcare and just have loved it because it's a place where you get to help people and still build as a business. But for me, I started in managed care. I did multiple roles, both in finance. I was in operations, did a lot of project management, some quality improvement, back to finance, uh, but really got a well-rounded picture of healthcare on the managed care side. And our contract that we had was with the state of Maryland. We got underbid, so I had the not very fun experience of shutting down an office and being able to manage a transition It's much easier and much more fun to build new programs than to shut down programs. But at the time, I really wanted to take a step back. And one of the things I really loved when I was in my master's program, getting my MBA, was the idea of helping small business. And when I was in managed care, I was involved in a program where the state of Maryland went from grant services to fee-for-service. And at the time, Providers didn't know how to manage a business where they weren't getting a defined set of money anymore and didn't know how to bill 
didn't know how to make ends meet on a fee-for-service basis. And we saw loads of providers go out of business. And even to the extent of five or six years later, when I actually came back into that program and I was running it, people were still going and testifying in front of the legislature why the state lost money because they had advanced money to providers. So I started to do some consulting because there are so many things that you pick up along the way that sometimes you don't realize what you know until you start talking to other people and just connecting those dots. And since then, I just really enjoy it. I like being able to take what I've learned and help other people. The other thing that I've really seen within the industry is that we're seeing a migration of things that for the complaints about health plans and the insurance side, there are some things that are second nature. And a lot of that are things that you need in this new era of value-based payments, which is using data, collecting data, knowing what to do with it, how do you make it actionable. And those are all things that I did in managed care. So right now, my focus is on bridging that gap. So I work both with health plans and providers working in the middle to try to make each side understand the other and be a translator. So our piece of the healthcare puzzle involves taking a lot of complex stuff and making it really simple. And sometimes when all of these payers have their own flavor of reimbursement, whether it's fee-for-service, value-based care, and these different requirements, it's really incumbent upon the practices, the health systems, and the facilities to understand it. Um, and like you said, you feel like you picked up all of these different bits and pieces along the way. When you're interacting at the provider level to help simplify that and translate it for them, have you ever been surprised by either maybe either how much somebody does or maybe more often than not doesn't know? And where do you, where do you begin with some of those projects? I think one of the challenges is sometimes the mindset on the smaller practices is not really thinking of it as a business and not having that focus. I'm here to serve the patients. And I actually had a project where uh, a doctor actually got upset at me because I asked them if they used data to inform practice. So the idea is population health. If you understand who the patients are that you serve, it's not a cookie-cutter design, but to look and say, well, this applies to the whole perspective, and so this rounds out the general set of knowledge that I have, but I'm going to tailor it specifically to the individual. That doesn't go away. Um, and so I think that's been one of the pieces that people don't understand, is that data is not there to replace clinical judgment. It's not there to replace the interaction with the patient. It's to help build a different set of strength and knowledge that you bring to the table in trying to help a patient change and understand their condition. Because even the patients, you know that they struggle to understand what it is that they are dealing with. The same thing's true within the practice. Um, as much as it may sound funny to say, you go through a lot of the same techniques of getting people to start with, how much do you actually know about this? And you often, as a consultant, have to really gauge that. You may think that you're coming in at mid-level and you're really at ground zero. So when you're talking to people, that's the first thing you have to do is assess kind of their level of awareness, knowledge, and skills so that you can tailor it down because if you're talking over their head, nobody wins. Um, so yes, there's definitely pieces of that where you go in and not everybody's at the same level and trying to keep it simple 
is one of the things that I found early in my career. I ran into it even in managed care because when I took over, I had been the CFO and I became the CEO. And the impression was, oh no, it's the bean counter taking over. And so everybody's like, it's all going to be about the numbers and dollars and everything else. But when you're able to relate it back to something that applies to a person's life and understand that you do the same thing out in your personal life, it's no different if you're in a business. And so for me, a lot of it is the relating of it is a business and this is what you need to do. I like to tie back to you have bills to pay, you have certain things that you have to pay for, you know, somewhere to live, usually a car, depending on where you live, but somehow getting transportation, Mm -hmm. food, those are kind of the basics that you have to cover first. So it's the same thing with a business and trying to understand that from a practice perspective of making sure that, um, that that level of knowledge is there. So it's really starting with the business sense. But then there are other people that are more sophisticated, and it depends on usually the size of the, of the practice. I like the way you described how really you have to make the data kind of their ally, that it's complementary to their practice, that it's not here to reinvent the wheel or take away from anything they're doing. Yeah. And I would say a lot of times the data is there to show you what's, what's the status quo, like where are you at mm-hmm. today? And meeting people where they're at is really important. We, having been on the sales side, you know, it's been really one of those things that's been drilled into us. You're not going to go there and, what do they say, show up and throw up, like, all of your information. <laughs> and nobody wins. <laughs> that nobody wins. No. Yeah. Because it's too much, too soon, yeah. not understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've worn a lot of hats in a lot in the finance or bean counter, as you said, in understanding the the fiscal part of what's going on in healthcare. Have you ever been in a situation or known of a patient experience that maybe had an impact on the way you thought about that? We met you in a when you were teaching a session on value-based care transformation practices. And you said that the finance people are often the no people. I'm yes, quoting no I did. with air quotes <laughs> for our listeners. But the um, you know, has, has there ever been something that's occurred to you personally, maybe with family or another experience you've heard about that has kind of shifted that for you at all? I said in general that that's what finance people are. I don't actually <laughs> consider myself a hardcore finance person. I do the numbers really well. But because of my other experiences, for me, the people aspect is an important part. And those stories are there. It's just a matter of when you're talking to different audiences. So if you're going to go and you talk to a finance person, you tend to want to make a logical argument as to why you need to do something. If you're going to go talk to clinical staff, you really want to make it about the heart and taking care of the patient. So there are pieces. A specific story, I'm not sure that I can think of anything specifically but again I don't know that I would necessarily fit in that traditional role again I started in uh, finance way before HIPAA and one of the first things that I did uh, I had to figure out who actually was in the hospital and from a, a managed care side that's important because hospitals where all the costs were and I would actually have to go in and read case notes and I was reading about Medicaid recipients in an urban city. And I remember thinking at the end of the day, my life's really not that bad. So for me, knowing that we were helping those people and being able to improve a person's life 
has always made it where I say I still have rose-tinted glasses about healthcare. Despite all the struggles and challenges, where else are we making such a huge impact on people's lives? And we have that opportunity to improve, really improve more than just their health, but it impacts their, their whole life. So, no, I don't have a story, but I completely no, believe in it. No, I think that it. the case notes <laughs> one and the belief in it is mm-hmm. is a brilliant example of what you get to see and observe. And to it, w- it was a tangible representation of what you were doing and that yeah. impact. And, I mean, I even did things because maybe it was – Having started my life in public accounting, one of the things that I always brought to the table was wanting to understand the big picture. And it even was to the point that I sat down with care managers as they were taking calls from, again, (laughs) pre-HIPAA, talking to members about what their needs were. And to this day, I remember this phone call where a person called in and just the way that the person spoke, it's like, I'm like a wilted flower. You know, they were dealing with depression and just the expressions, and I did a lot in behavioral health. So behavioral health, you really want to get to pulling on people's heartstrings. The issues that people are dealing with with serious mental illness, it's significant. So, again, I think those stories have always been there. And with behavioral health, there's a big piece about understanding peers and bringing people in. We actually had a person in our program who was either a family member or somebody that had a diagnosis. And what that person's sole job was, was to help people relate to the people that we served. And so understanding more of what it meant to be a person served by our company was a philosophy that we always had. And I worked a lot in Medicaid, and so you're dealing with significant issues in Medicaid often. All right, so considering that you have been thinking and looking at healthcare through this big picture lens, seen quite a bit of ups and downs. Yes. If you could snap your fingers, put your magical hat on, think of any sort of utopian future, what could you what would you fix in healthcare? What would why? be your wish? Yeah, if you could wish for something to just be fixed. It's like a problem we don't have to deal with anymore. Honestly, within it's broader than just healthcare. It's to me, it's about people's level of understanding and awareness of what it means to be healthy. So it's not just the interaction with the doctor and the people within the practice, but really taking it back. Like, what does it mean when you say eat healthy? You might have your definition. Somebody else has a different definition. I'm cringing because before we came down here, I was hankering for an ice cream bar. (laughs) But go on. (laughs) And I might have indulged in that ice cream. But sort of really raising the awareness. And um, I would love to actually see health education be more into the education system so that when patients become patients and that they're dealing with prevention, you start with the kids that they understand and can change the cycle so that they're growing up with a different level of awareness, which would make it easier, much easier, on the healthcare system, that if there was a certain level of understanding that people came in with, that it would be easier. So from a healthcare perspective, if to me, if we were able to better educate patients and we had more time, that I think we could raise the bar differently, which is why I hope value-based payments and care truly succeed 
because then we're getting away from the 15-minute visit, the 30-minute visit. How do I see enough patients every day to saying, hey, what do you need to be healthier? So I am, I am hoping and praying that it comes out. <laughs> That's a really unique question, one we haven't heard. Um, speaking of value-based care and leading into our next question, you have a publication that's getting ready to be released about value-based care. Can you tell us about that? Sure. The book is called Roadmaps to Value-Based Profitability. It is a overview of doing practice transformation. So it's a guide of how to work through practice transformation related to structuring your practice to be geared towards value-based care. If there was one kind of key takeaway, we don't want any spoiler alerts. Everyone's got to go get that book. But if there's one thing you wish people know or there's one major takeaway from that book that you could put into a sentence or two about this new paradigm shift in reimbursement that you've written about, and especially as it pertains to the title itself, being profitable in this new era, what would it be? So my one takeaway really is that... I would say if you fall back on a perspective of understanding your value system, and I'm not talking values and value-based care or value-based payments, but how you interact with your patients and your coworkers, and I believe that there's three core values that you need to have, and that's respect, trust, and flexibility. And if you incorporate those three into your practice and how you operate, filter your actions through those lens, this isn't so hard. Yes, it takes quite a bit to change workflows and processes, but transformation isn't so much about the mechanics. It's about a change in culture. And so that culture and how you get people to think, act, and feel is about respect, trust, and flexibility. I like that. I like those three values. And I think in knowing about what value-based care is, what it represents, hearing you speak, and the little bit you know that we dabble in, I think that that lens and to your point filtering everything through that it it's very doable but the culture change is key yeah and oh, I think absolutely. it can lead to a great workplace so it allows you to retain staff we're dealing with a lot of staff shortages turnover lack of qualified staff so if you can bring people in and keep them in that's great for your work environment if people are really focused on serving the patient and demonstrating that understand what it means that every single person in the practice is part of the team and has a role in engaging the patient and having that patient feel trusted, respected, and offering flexibility, I think we would have a great system. You know, you mentioned something in your talk earlier today about in order for, for the transformation to really happen, each practice needs a champion. And specifically... That champion should not be, quote-unquote, voluntold that they're the champion. (laughs) Can you speak to that just for a moment? Because I just love that word, and it's something that happens so much that we see. Right, yeah. So voluntold is simply you're volunteered to do something when you're not actually volunteering. You're told that you're the volunteer. And when you are the champion, it's something you have to truly believe in and support because When you're not authentic about your commitment to the change, it comes through. And having that champion is the person when things get tough that reminds you why you're doing this, why it's important, how we can make things better, and making it concrete enough so that each person connects to 
that vision. So a lot of it has to do with driving the vision of what should your practice look like? What does it feel like? What do patients feel like? What does it feel like for uh, your coworkers? Uh, one of the interesting stats that I found when I was doing some research for the book is that patient perceptions of healthcare is less about the outcome and how the doctor may have performed than it was about their how they felt and whether or not they felt that they were cared for and connected. And not just with the doctor, but everyone that they interact with within the office. Because you could come in and it could be one person that's enough to alter that perception, but it's about how they feel. It isn't necessarily about a hard quantifiable number, which is kind of interesting considering we're measuring all these metrics that are about specific processes. But when you come down to it, I think I also mentioned this today, somebody doesn't care whether or not your rate of foot exams for people with diabetes is great. They just want to keep the foot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's also interesting because, you know, whether you go get your haircut at Great Clips for, you know, $7 on sale or you're at Kohl's just trying to check out timely and needed help finding the right size, that interaction to feel cared about, listened to, and accomplish some sort of goal or some iteration of what that expectation was is what makes for a good experience. The lady greeted me. I found what I needed. It was a good value. And I'm on my way. It didn't take me all day. These sorts of things. And we expected about so many other things, and it's so commonplace there. But in healthcare, you're right. We're measuring all these other things without, I think, truly being patient-centered was a big part of what you were talking about, kind of your diagram, too. And interestingly enough, if you respect and you want to build trust then you incorporate those. You care about what the person's experience is. So, Mm -hmm. yes. All right, transitioning to our last question. We are building a reading list for our podcast listeners. And so, apart from your book, (laughs) which of course we'll recommend to everyone, is there any uh, book that has been especially impactful for you? Fiction, nonfiction, personally, professionally? It's okay if it's Stephen King. Yeah, so um, (laughs) I really have not had as much time as I like to have read very much on fiction. I just picked up Renee Brown's book, uh, Dare to Lead. Haven't quite cracked it open. That's probably for the plane ride tomorrow. I love books about leadership and customer service. So I've got a collection of probably every book related to Disney for customer service. Ritz Carlton, uh, John Cotter's book on leading change is excellent. There's a book um, that I'm not even sure I'll remember the full title, but it's also about change, and it's related to ADCAR. It's by ProSci. That that's kind of an interesting spin on the same concepts of change management. Leadership, wow, there's so many books out there. I'm not even sure. I'm, like, trying to visualize my bookcase. Um, a lot of people have been saying that. I can see yeah, like, the cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's just a lot of good things. And I'm a, I love reading thrillers, so I did just read a, um, I can't even remember the name of it, but it was a nice little break from reading all the business materials. Good. Yeah. Well, if people want to find you online or know more about your publication and find that, what is the best place to find you or more about your book? What are your socials? What are your LinkedIn's? So it's Jennifer Turnay, so just my name, on at LinkedIn, and uh, my website is valuesbasedcare.com, and that's values with an S, 
because it's not just about value-based care, but it's about those core values, and uh, that's probably the best place. All right. Excellent. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes. Or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more about Chirpy Bird at www.chirpybirdllc.com.